gonna make him an awfully gamble for you. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. 1.21 gigawatts! I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. This is Sparta! You shall not pass! Here's Johnny. Uh, there was a firefight! Onto your butt. Welcome to the briefcase. You know, there's a million fine-looking women in the world, dude, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. Hello, and welcome to the briefcase, a show that attempts to encompass everything filmmaking from an independent filmmaker's point of view. I'm your host, Matt, and sitting way across from me is my hetero life mate, longtime collaborator, but most importantly, business partner and co-host, Dave. What's up, Dave? what's going on brother how's things good um it's safe to say that we survived this polar vortex we just had (laughs) yeah the polar vortex uh me and dave both live in uh, new york state so the uh february month usually means a polar vortex for us which is new to vernacular uh it just sounds funny polar vortex so, so I guess with the climate change that was going on, this is like a yearly thing now. Uh, I think we always at this time used to get like uh, really bad weather down from Canada. We used to get like, remember we used to get nor'easters when we were kids and stuff. And everybody talks about the 96, um, what is that, that giant snowstorm in 96. where That sn- blizzard was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I remember very, very vividly going out into the streets with my friends and having snow up to my waist and i mean i was a short kid so that's no small feat but i was like we had like two feet of snow on the ground almost three feet of snow on the ground it's crazy but funny enough 1996 is pretty much a good way to segue into how i started well so uh our inaugural episode dave and i own and operate briefcase productions an independent production company based in new york city Collectively, we have worked on over 20 short films, four feature films, a half dozen or, or so music videos, commercials, teaser trailers, sketches, skits, you name it, we've, we've probably done it. Um, we've also held just about every single job imaginable on set, uh, everything short of, uh, was that, catering, I believe. Yeah, because um, we're not actors. Uh, speak for yourself. With, <laughs> with, with all that expertise under our belt, we felt it was time to start sharing our stories with anyone who will listen. And if you're listening, we, we do thank you sincerely. Yes, uh, we do. Because if you weren't listening, we'd just be two old friends talking about the same crap we've been talking about for like the last 15 or so years. Uh, it is our hope that we can entertain you with our antics, educate you with our DIY approach to filmmaking, and hopefully inspire someone to pick up a camera and create. So Dave mentioned 1996. I'm going to give the floor. 
Funk flex. I'm going to give Dave the floor and ask him, why did you say 1996? So in 1996, I was in high school. I was in John F. Kennedy at the time. And I had this really stupid computer class. And there I met a friend of mine by the name of Pip. And Pip and I became friends really quickly. And one day he's like, hey, listen, I'm recording a, a TV show. Do you want to come and hang out? And I'm like, what the fuck you mean a TV show? He's like, yeah, I have a show on public access. Now, for those who don't know what public access is, is pretty much the YouTube of our time, except we couldn't access it on our phones. No, no. Our phones barely T9 texted at the time. Oh, dear God. Yes. Yeah. The T9 we're, text. We're old. We're old, guys yeah. and girls. We're old. Oh, man. So Pip tells me, hey, come on. I got this public access TV show. And I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm all down for it, but I really don't l- like being in front of the camera. Do you mind me holding the camera? I'll, I'll do that. And he goes, absolutely, because, you know, everybody, you know, wants to be in front of the camera. But I took pride in being behind the camera. So I go to set, which was, I think it was probably underneath uh, the promenade where the Metro North Station rolls. And I think that's where we shot part of the first episode. So there I met two very good friends of mine that are still friends with me to this day, Joe America and Kiko. And pretty much uh, from public access, it was my first introduction to media, to working in media. Um, I mean, we didn't even edit on computers, man. We edited um, VHSC, which is the, the camcorder, to VHS, and then basically... To finalize the show, we did VHS to VHS, if you could imagine that. <laughs> I did a uh, a high school f- uh, film class where I had to uh, make a-, a film as my final, and I did something very similar. We'll talk about that later, but go ahead. So, yeah, uh, so linear and editing, I believe it was called. Very right? linear editing, yeah. Right, so... So that's pretty much where it started in public access. And it went f- from 96 to a f- maybe a year into 2001, maybe 2002. I, I could be wrong with the years, but mm-hmm. it was pretty much my uh, foundation for where I'm at today. It's, and what, it's I, what got you started, right? Like it put you on the path. Much, yeah, it yeah. put me on the path. Um, because funny enough, before that, I didn't want to work in media. I wanted to be a fashion designer. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Hard to believe. Fashion designer. Oh my God. Reason being was that my mom is this badass tailor that works for a high-end Fifth Avenue store. She is tough as nails, this woman. And amazing with a needle and thread. Oh my God. Yeah, but you know what sucks about having a mom as a tailor is that if I give her a pair of jeans to him, it will take me four months to get those fucking pair of jeans back. (laughs) Maybe you should have learned how to... uh, Yeah, maybe maybe I should learn. That that apple did not fall far from the tree. Or did. Anyway, go ahead. Pretty much public access is what started for me, which brings us to you, Matt Ramo. Uh, To me, Matt Ramo. Yeah, um... uh, so, so Dave touched on what public access was, um, and I'll go a little more in-depth into it. Uh, yeah, uh, let's see. For me, it was 1997-98. I was in high school. I met a gentleman by the name of Girk, or excuse me, Garrick Cisneros. And junior year, we, uh, we were all looking for a, a lunch table to sit at. And 
there was just this one table left and like all these misfits kind of like drifted to it and um in my high school once you picked your lunch table that was it it was your lunch table for the rest of the year so that was my junior year i sat with garrick and then senior year i sat with garrick again i sat next to him and uh you know we had uh, girlfriends at the time who were mutual friends and so he and i became more friendly because you know we would go double dating and all that stuff and uh one day senior year he comes in and he shows me uh he's got his uh sony camcorder with him and he's like um hey you know uh i bought this camera and me and my cousins are like just screwing around making skits so i look at him and there he's he's hispanic and i don't at this time, I don't really speak a speak a link. Oh wow, what a, <laughs> what a Freudian slip! I don't speak a lick of Spanish, so he's showing me stuff, and I don't understand it, but it's funny. And he's like, uh, "You know, you should come to my house when they come over." And so one day, I I say, "Yeah, sure, whatever, whatever, what better have I got to do?" So I do, and uh, I end up in one of their skits as kind of like the token white guy, you know, getting like clowned on or whatever. <laughs> I mean, everyone needs a token white guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so to be fair, we grew up in the Bronx, and and where where I grew up, it was a very melting pot. My grammar school, there was only three white kids. Uh, I think period, let alone in my grade. So I was always like the, someone's token white guy, and I'm okay with that. I don't mind at all. Uh, it just means that I have a very eclectic group of friends. So you bring you bring another flavor to the group. <laughs> You know, all the memes on the internet say white people don't bring flavor to anything, but, you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, if if Matt Ramo was a flavor, it would be chicken nuggets and french fries. <laughs> Motherfucker, it would be barbecue, and you know that. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, and, and so little by little, like, I end up kind of, like, hanging out with him more and more. And um, his cousin, uh, Stoney, we call him Stoney. Uh, he Stoney. He was taking, now we graduated high school. And everybody was moving on to colleges or whatever. And I was not going to college. I was like, I'm going to go into the workforce. I'll, I'll figure it out. And so Stoney was taking classes at Lehman College, which is not far. And he was taking video editing courses. And with that video editing course, you ended up with a time slot on their public access channel, which in the Bronx was called BronxNet. That's right. So Bronxnet. he figured these stupid sketches that we're making, I can put them on this channel and that's how a show by the name of family values was born and so really quick yep to, to add on to family yeah, go for it so basically you guys were already recording skits and weren't even putting them on right you guys were just doing skits for yourselves nowhere to put it nowhere to broadcast it well not, i, th- I think fucking the internet i mean yes and no i think by the time i came along and really kind of um made a friendship with stony uh, Garrick's brother Edgar, their cousin um, Tibby. I think um, I think at that point they the, the idea was already there that oh I've got this Bronxnet time slot I'm going to do something with it. But I think when they started, they were just making sketches for them. They were just doing silly things for themselves, which isn't which at the time wasn't uncommon because in one of my my first bands I had a drummer by the name of Matt DeRose who still one of the funniest people I know to this day, he, with his brother, had a camera and their friends, and they made 
stupid sketches and one night many many years later they found the tape and they brought it out and we we're all having beers and we we're just you know in tears laughter like how stupid it was so i think if they had access to a channel the way we did or the way people now do with um what do you call it, youtube and stuff i think they would have been internet superstars too <laughs> but it, it wasn't it wasn't uncommon i think for people to get video cameras and then tape themselves doing stupid things whether it's you know putting a firecracker in your mouth and blowing it off or like writing a sketch. Cause I think we were all just emulating what we were seeing. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, family values was born and I became a main cast member from like season one on and that, that and like just little instances from, from my childhood and teenage years, um, showed me that I really enjoyed entertaining. And I found, uh, over time that I had a, like a proclivity for um, storytelling. So, you know, there were bands over the years and, and things like that that allowed me to have that outlet to entertain, but nothing kind of... Um, nothing's quite like filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And so the public access was was definitely my start too. Now, you guys, what, what were you guys were called? AKA TV. Right. So now, okay, so you guys were just filming sketches with no... No. The way, when I came on, I don't know how many episodes they were in, or I don't know if even it was... No, I think it could have been like episode four or five when I finally came in. Oh, so you weren't there since day one. No, I wasn't there since day one. Okay. But but the, the show evolved because the show just used to be a bunch of guys in the room staring at the camera, talking shit about whatever happened during that week. (laughs) <laughs> pretty fucking boring right so then i i honestly don't know who came up with the idea i, I don't want to take credit for it sure um but somehow some way me joe kiko pip and me yeah me joe kiko and pip decided to <laughs> start twice. doing skits right like just like really god awful stuff you know oh, joe was like the big horror guy Mm-hmm. Like Joe loved horror films, like still does my, to this day. My my horror uh, Wikipedia is basically Joe. Okay, like I, <laughs> everyone just, has that one friend. Yeah, his thing is horror, especially zombies. Like that was his genre. Yeah, yeah. Loves George Romero. Loves Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Big big on horror. So some of our skits were kind of horror ish, mm-hmm. and then we just kept doing them, and they just kept evolving. Yeah, and this is still way before you and I even came into contact. Oh yeah, we we weren't friends for I don't know, like at least another three or four years. Yeah, because um, also remember you were on BronxNet and I was on Manhattan Network Neighbor, two right. completely different uh, cable sources. Yes, we couldn't get like I couldn't watch your show and you couldn't watch mine. Exactly. Um, to this, to, by the way, to this day, I don't think I've really seen any uh, AKA TV. Oh man, we should put some up. We I'm... could definitely put put some up i know i can put them up because yeah. we have the vh we have the vhs's oh my oh god my god children go look and see what a vhs is you may have had to help your grandparents with one it's like the test now they're giving um kids they're giving them a rotary phone to figure out how to how to t- how to use it that is so funny so i think we should I do that we should put, a rotary phone we should put out a a cd and a vhs to see if they can figure out how to use it because <laughs> i don't i don't think uh some kids nowadays know even what the cd is everything's streamed now for a while so, there the games were on cds xbox playstation but now they're doing uh, everything's like digital downloads now yeah 
Oh God, it's so seamless. But whatever. What a, what a time to be alive. What a t- <laughs> what a time to be alive is right. So so you're on Bronxnet, right? We're on Manhattan Network. Yep. Um, we cut our show together on VHS, uh-huh. and we get like pre-printed stickers to put on the VHS, and we hand it into the guy on. So we would shoot Friday afternoon, go downtown Friday night, hand it in, um, and that was it. That was the show. Oh, so you like shot and edited that day? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't, like I, don't, I said, it was just guys in front of the camera talking shit. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that that's easy. You just you know pick point to start and end. But then once you started doing skits, started getting a little bit more complicated, more editing time, longer more days, shots, yeah. more shots. You know, yeah. so it evolved from there. <laughs> so then that's ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. I graduate. Yeah, ninety nine. I graduate college. Joe. Joe America was a year ahead of me. Okay. And he decided to go to Bronx Community College. And after the first semester, he comes back. He's like, dude, you got to come to the school. They're editing on computers. And my mind was just like, wait, I was like, what? What, do you, what do you mean? He goes, dude, you take your footage, you somehow ingest it into a computer, and you edit on a computer. And <laughs> I couldn't, like, and you couldn't handle it. I couldn't. I couldn't compute, man. This was <laughs> like something mind blowing. So, <laughs> you mean so to tell I, me we can go on the computer and edit video? It's no longer for pornography. Wait a second. <laughs> Hang exactly. on a second. <laughs> exactly. So you know, mind blowing, life changing experience, right? Absolutely. There. So, yeah. So I barely graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. Oh, we both did. Trust me. Oh God. I hated that place, dude. I didn't know I was going to graduate till a week before graduation. To with be my. With my family coming from Argentina. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, dude. I'll tell you one. I took the same math course four times. I failed the junior year. I failed Fuck. it in summer school junior year. I went back. I didn't even think I was going to be let uh, back into the building senior year. They <laughs> let me back in. They let me take the math course. I failed it again. And then I had to take it senior year. Uh, excuse me. I had to take it in summer school. I, When everyone graduated... You know, I graduated the whole nine, got the diploma or the fake diploma, and then they mail you the real one or whatever. I still hadn't technically graduated high school. I had to go to summer school and finish this math course. And I actually did, and I passed it. (laughs) It was the most trying time as a teenager. Yeah, dude, like, I don't want to go so into the educational system. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, But, like, you know, if, if, like, in high school they can start giving you stuff that you can take in college, I think it would make kids more more like shit i gotta go to school because i gotta finish high school and if i want to do this mm-hmm. you know what i mean because i took i it was a film class i took junior year yeah i took one senior right it was an elective and i loved it and i was just like man this is what i want to do you mean you to know? tell me that i can get a grade to pass high school faster if i watch film sign me up i'm doing this already yeah. <laughs> i'm watching movies every night so I don't, instead of having just a, such a generic fucking like curriculum, just be like, you know, English, engineering, fucking math. auto mechanic. You know what I mean? Like just like freshman year, just start off with kids with that. Because freshman year, you got to take a bunch of fucking remedials and bullshit just yeah. to fucking. Yeah. Anyway, back to public, yeah. back to college. Yeah. Now, I mean, so the only reason I go to college um, is because a joe america told me about editing on a computer <laughs> my friend told me to go to college so i went to college so i went to college yeah you know monkey see monkey do no, first time no I actually, parental you know. influence no desire to graduate like, well yeah, the I'm- second reason is that because i knew if i did not go right to college i would never hear the end of it from my mom 
Mm, okay. So just to shut her up, I oh, went nice. to college as well. Very nice. Yeah. My mom so, had zero expectations of me. She just <laughs> wanted to be bad. No, I say that. I say that, and it sounds negative. But my mom has ultimately always been like, "Whatever makes you happy." <laughs> and to this day, she's always like, "Are you happy doing what you're doing?" That's all that matters. So good old, good old Mama Ramo. Yeah, she's a she's the real MVP. But that's that's another story for another day. Yes. Anyway, you're in college because your friend so told I'm, you to. So I'm in college, and then somehow between our mix of friends, I'm sure it was Ghetto Fest, how I met Stoney. Oh, uh, Ghetto Fest. The, so, you want you want you well, to briefly, or you want me to briefly? Uh, yeah, Matt, you, you know what you, you briefly uh, okay. touch on, so, what Ghetto Fest so, was. So here's the thing about Ghetto Fest. Um, in the Bronx, there were a lot of uh, metalheads right that were not your atypical metalhead they weren't like these white long hairs right that was me i was the white long hair everyone else were these like like very intense minorities whether they were puerto rican uh dominican african you know african-american and stuff we all just kind of came together because we were you know in high school you find your click when you're when you don't fit in anywhere you find the misfit click and you become misfits together and I think that's actually what ended up happening once we graduated. We all had these friends, like you had Pip and Kiko and Joe, and I had like Stone and Girk, and you know. And then of course I had my other metalhead friends. So we all just kind of came together. And, and inevitably, what ends up happening is someone wants to form a band, and so all these like we don't have garages in the Bronx. They're not garage bands. They're basically basement bands. So they put on this the first ever Ghetto Fest, and it was in someone's apartment building basement. And so all these bands who were like covering Rage Against the Machine songs because we were fans and, you know, like writing their own crappy, you know, um, originals and stuff. They all got together one day and they said, we're going to do it in someone's basement. And so it became a thing. It was like an annual thing. Every summer there was a ghetto fest for like four or five years. So I'm sure there's tons of footage out there of ghetto fest. There has to be. There Between definitely has Stony to be. recording. For family um, values. For family values. Plus um, his own bands. He he covered he recorded a lot of his bands, Red Light, Green Light. Um There was Rob, the drummer from LBC, who always recorded everything as well. He Law has Abiding tons citizens. of stuff. Yeah. Law Abiding Citizens. So I'm sure somehow, some way we can put some of this footage out we there. We could yeah, well uh Let's see. Our promise to you is that we will attempt our best to reach out to some of these people so you can see us in our most fucking vulnerable phases of life. Oh, our, Jesus. our transitions, you know, from weird, awkward high school people into like, you know, budding entertainers <laughs> in the loosest sense of the word entertainer. Stoney even did a theme song for Ghetto Fest. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that we can look back on it and laugh about it a bit. But like, oh, you know, our, our hearts were always in the right place. So so you and I haven't met yet. By we this still, point. no, we still haven't met yet. No, no, we haven't met yet. And at the time we were looking for a bass player and Stoney's like, hey, hit this dude up. He's on America Online. Ooh, kids. So, so, Matt, explain what America Online is. Years ago, I'd say a good 20 years ago, there was a company by the name of America Online, and you would purchase or steal those CDs and get X amount of hours free to surf the web. It was, a, it was a, I guess, a portal to the internet. And you get chat rooms, you get a screen name, which was attached to an email, and... 
Yeah, that's and we also had dial up too, but you know, we'll go into that later. Mom, get off the phone. I'm trying to download a song. <laughs> so I hit I hit you up on Instant Messenger and we chat for like about a year and a half and never meet. Which is essentially instant messenger is essentially texting but on the internet. Giant ass computer and a dial up modem order to send messages just to talk to each other in pseudo real time. Yeah, we do this on the phone now, it's insane. Oh my god, yeah, it's ridiculous. So, a year and a half goes by, you and I chat, we never meet, and then we finally meet because at this time, I think AK uh was done with. We we didn't do any more skits. Real quick, you said you guys were looking for a bass player. Who was looking for a bass player? Me and Alex and Chris. Uh, Were you um. I got. I can't. People are gonna be confused. Like which Chris? Um, Chris that went to high school with Alex. Um, he. They were both guitar players. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the drummer, and we mm-hmm. needed a bass player. So. so were you guys like, and I use the term loosely, an established band, or were you trying to start something up? We were trying to start something. Okay. We had a name and everything. Oh, what um, was the name? Oh, Jesus Christ. Unforgiven Blind Children, UBC. <laughs> oh my God! There is no so, <laughs> Unforgiven, Unforgiven from Metallica. Uh huh. Blind from Corn. <laughs> and children from what was Green Day's original name, Sweet Children. There, there was a logo and everything. It was like a kid I would on like a edge of a cliff with I would like pay good money to see that logo gouged out yeah I gotta I gotta hit up Chris to see if he has it somewhere, somewhere. oh my gentle Jesus there is yeah. nothing more high school angsty than unforgiven blind children yeah so well I, you know what my very first band name is not much better okay. it was what it was, was it? MTA because we were all like New Yorkers but it it was called MTA but I said the acronym <laughs> stood for molesting the authority so I'm not much better. <laughs> oh man, so juvenile. Oh, so, so juvenile. Okay, so you got okay. You're looking for a bass player. You, so looking for a bass get, player. You get my you information. And I, you and I chat on instant messenger for a while. Yeah. Never meet. Never meet. Right. Meanwhile, AK is done by now. Okay. In, I, I think I'm in my second year of college. AK okay. is done by now. Um, we stopped doing it. You know, everyone grew up and just doing their own thing. Um, but Stoney still had Fan Val going. I think he was doing like an episode a month or something. We something weird like that. What what year do you think you're you're talking? Two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Um, I'd say that in approximately two thousand and two thousand and one, that was kind of the end for us too. Okay, so then we would we and so Stony hits me up and he's like, "Hey, I'm recording this skit. I need you to act in it." So I'm like, "Oh, fine, I'll I'll do it." You know what I mean? Well, like, I'm just really curious why he was like, "I need you." Like of all people, I need you to act in it. Oh, I, I think he wanted like some tough Guido looking, um, <laughs> like mobster enforcer, okay. which I'm completely the opposite. In real but life, at yes. the time, but at the time, I was rocking. If you can picture mm. the blowout, the 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 what's it called? The um, Jersey Shore blowout. The Jersey Shore slash um, what's the family's name? Jesus Christ, the Gotties. Oh, 
Yeah. Blowout. Got All that right. gaudy blowout. I didn't I didn't have my ears gauged at the time, but I had the two studs in. Mm-hmm. Very urban. Uh, you know, the, the only thing I had broad shoulders. Like that's the only thing. I'm like five foot six, and I have broad shoulders. So you know, they kind of like a barrel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking barrel. So Stony put a suit on a me. barrel. You got your yeah. guy. Yeah, you got your tough guy. So, and that there's actual video footage of the first time we met. So I end up in this skit. I'm playing uh, a hitman, and uh, I have to go see the boss. Stony plays the boss because so at this point, all right. So there's like a trajectory. I don't know about AKA TV, but there was a trajectory that occurred for Family Values. Um, in the beginning, back in like '98, '99, um, we would record every Sunday because that you know we're like 18, 19, and that's when we're free. We, uh, some of us had jobs, others didn't. I had a job, but I was always off on Sundays for some weird reason. And um, We'd meet on a Sunday, we'd meet at Garrick's house, and that became like center stage for every, just, I'd say about 75 to to 85% of the skits we shot were centered around Garrick's house or the surrounding areas, because that was like the uh, the meetup point. Mm. And um, a lot of people would show up, and we would like, we'd meet up early, like 10, 11 a.m., and we'd, Stoney would have a notebook full of ideas, you know, he'd be riding the train or whatever he was he's got a very interesting uh mind he still does to this day he's a very uh creative human being he's very outside the box a lot and that's one of the things i've I've always loved about him so he comes to the table with a notebook full of ideas he's like i got this idea but he would just have like an idea and so he pretty much pretty (laughs) he'd put it in. so you guys would pretty much do it from the hip you guys didn't really like rehearse anything right yeah he never was a script no, there was never a script. Okay. The first time it's we... Kind of, it's kind of the way we rolled, too. We came up with the idea and shot well, we, it on the fly. You know what? We're like 19. We don't know what a script yeah, we is. We had no idea what a script is. Nobody knows how to write a script. And like, let alone... I mean, I'm 38 and I barely have a grasp of writing scripts sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I, I did research. But we... Yeah, he would put the idea in our hands and he'd go, all right, let's make this funny. Or like, let's make this funnier. And so... We would kind of talk. Our script was like talking it out beforehand. Okay, hmm. you say this, and then I'll say this. Like, oh, yeah, that's great. And then from there, we can. So every Sunday, that's basically what we did. So there came a point where, and and you never know when it's happening. Uh, only when you look back, you're like, oh, that was the, that's the watermark. That's where the water rose its highest, and then it receded back into the ocean. Everybody would show up for, you know, every other week and then little by little, like, uh, life seeps in or someone becomes uninterested. We had a, a guy join the Navy, Rohan. Oh, my God. Yeah, great dude. He joined the G. Navy. G.I. Bills. G.I. Bills was... G.I. Uh, Bills. He was like... G.I. Bills is a funny story. I'll get into that in a second. Um, so, you know, you have a revolving door a cast and crew, and that's kind of how it, it went down, was like, which is revolving door. And so... Uh, there comes a point, like I said, there's a crux at which that's your highest point, and then everything's downhill from there. And so, by 2001, um, you know, there's only a handful of people showing up. There's still a handful of people that are like, we're going to keep this alive. I really enjoy doing this. You know, and they show up. And so, now here's this sketch where it's me and Stoney, like the last the last two guys, like on the ship as it sinks, you know, the captain and his first mate or whatever. <laughs> and, and they call, and he calls you up to come rescue us or whatever. And so this sketch is, I play this, um, I play a hitman. You are, uh, 
the boss's right hand man. You're like his personal bodyguard, and <laughs> and so I, I I I'm coming back from a job that I was supposed to whack a guy. He was a rat, <laughs> and um, yeah. Whole- so we the, the, the whole thing was that someone was a rat, and we had to figure it out who it was. Well. I, that's the thing is my, you, you guys, the boss and his number one, were trying to figure it out. You guys, the story is you supposedly sent me out to whack, to find out who the rat was and whack him. And of course, I do. And in typical Monty (laughs) Python fashion, the rat is an actual rat. (laughs) So, (laughs) so... (laughs) So the whole gag is, right, it's like this serious buildup. I come up the staircase and you're at the door and I'm like, I got to see the boss. And you're like, you know, you give me a hard time. Like nobody sees the boss. I'm like, but he sent me out. You know, we got this whole dialogue back and forth. You pat me down. You find all these weapons on me. I got, I've got this. Oh, my favorite part of my character was Stoney thought it'd be a great idea if I had a tattoo. So he gave me the freaking tattoo from uh, Dust Till Dawn. That on the Cl- neck? On the neck and the hand. So it was this tattoo that was supposed to run from my neck all the way down my shoulder, down my arm. With my bicep, a Sharpie. With a Sharpie, a permanent marker. All right. <laughs> God, I remember, yeah, I remember bu- being in the his budget. apartment. The budget was a Sharpie, bro. Our budget was a Metro card. We you, like if you had a Metro card, you could make it to set. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> and we we ate like McDonald's. It was terrible, but um. So yeah, that was my one of my favorite parts of that. And yeah, you know, you and I, we did the whole shtick. You you, I'm like the guy, the rats in my car. Go get them. So we send you down. There's this philosophical conversation between me and the boss. Uh, you know, I heard the dolphin sleep with one eye open. You know, like a uh, snapple fact. That was a straight snapple fact from a bottle cap we read that day. Like, no joke. And then you come up and you're like, yeah, boss, I got him. He's right behind my back. And he's like, I don't see him. And then you pull out a fake rat. And then it turns into a fucking Benny Hill skit where he chases. I said, yeah, that's oh the rat. I told God. you it's yeah, a rat. Put the music and everything. <laughs> oh, God. Yakety Sax. That's the name of that song, by so, the way. So speaking of GI Bills, you know we were trying to do a AKA FanVal crossover. I um, and we I, actually shot a skit, and GI Bills came came over. And oh did wow! It, I remember, all right. So GI Bills is a gentleman by the name of uh, Hector, <laughs> who was a fan. So now, okay, so we're like in our second year, I guess, and and we had the worst time slot ever. It was like four a.m. on a Sunday. So mm. my my buddy had cable. I never, I didn't have cable till I was like twenty six or something. We just. We just didn't have the money for it. And um, I would put I would put a cassette tape. Excuse me. I put a VHS tape in his VCR. And we would set a timer because nobody was up at 4 a.m. And I'd set a timer so that it would record, you know, oh modern God, day DVR. A timer to your VHS. Yeah, modern day DVR. You had to make sure the channel was right, blah, blah, blah. Hardest blah. thing ever. Oh, it's one of the worst things ever. I'm so happy. I'm really happy about DVR and stuff. But um, so that's how I would tape. The program because just because I was in the sketch didn't mean I knew how it was going to turn out and so I would we would that would be the only time you could see it yeah absolutely so we'd record these these episodes and then I'd watch them like oh my god and I'd watch them with like a wide eyed grin the way we did as kids watching like Saturday morning cartoons so um, GI Bills somehow or excuse me Hector somehow stumbled upon us like a lot of other people 
And he, we had a website at the time, an Angel Fire or a GeoCities. Angel Fire. <laughs> or a GeoCities or something. GeoCities. The way, the way we now have, like, Wix and Squarespace and GoDaddy mm-hmm. and stuff. So um, he reached out to us, and he was like, yo, I love what you guys do. You can totally use my apartment. And good God, did we use his apartment. And we used him, too. He, <laughs> ends, he ended up becoming a character and, and – or, excuse me, he ended up becoming a cast member – and quite a character, and it was just great. So I didn't, I never knew that you shot with uh, GI Bill. So tell me about that. I think it was the Mamba skit, man. I can't remember the what. Like I, uh, we <laughs> remember the time the that was going on the mad cow disease. Yeah, of course. Okay, so it was because of the the Mamba f- uh, fruit, um, kind of like Starburst looking candy. Oh, oh yeah, okay, I know that. They stuff. were saying that it was in the candy. So we did a skit that this guy goes and gets the little the mamba, um, the the fruit, yeah, the, yeah. The whatever the the whatever the, the candy, candy is, yeah, the candy, yeah. He eats it and he turns into like this crazy person, like uh-huh. pretty much like mad cow disease, except a little bit more animated. Sure. And, and then the guy turns into it and then he starts grabbing like the mamba candy and just shoving it in people's mouths and they're going crazy. As well. <laughs> we shot this on Pelham, by the way. Nice. Pelham Parkway, the park. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that <laughs> that was the skit. And then I think GI Bills comes and like hits their head, and like their head goes flying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my awful. god, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's god awful. Oh, um, it's so funny. But entertaining, nonetheless. So. Um, so you and I finally meet after a year and a half of uh, yeah. of talking on on AIM. Yeah, yeah, but we don't even start shooting shit. We don't even start briefcase at this point no. yet. We actually you, start playing. <laughs> yeah, you and I, we were like, oh, that's the drummer I've been talking to. Oh, that's the bass player I've been talking to. And so we ended up like jamming in your childhood bedroom for a couple of weeks. I remember mm. very specifically um, like dragging my bass over to your house and, and whatnot. None, which nonetheless said on the side of it, scum of the earth. I am a, I am rebellious if nothing else. I I wanted to make a statement. I wanted people to know that I hated them. So I I have a hard shell case, which by the way is actually sitting five feet from me as I record this. I spray. I got um stencils and I like spray painted the words "scum of the earth." And then I went so far as to carve into the white spray paint. We are all. So now it says we are all scum of the earth. So when I got on the subway to go to my band practices and stuff, because at this point, I'd stopped singing for whatever band I was in, which was God Awful. And now I was playing bass in like a punk, like a goth band or something, which was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, this this kind of that whole period in time started this incestuous like I, we needed a drummer. So I was like, come down. I know this guy. He's really good come down or you were like hey i'm jamming with alex come over and and so we kind of did this weird like uh incestuous back and forth thing for a while but we never you and i never really had an actual band together we never played a stage together or anything (laughs) no because then after that you had uh the band with dan nobody which eventually became nobody in the nothings nobody in the nothings i love that name and then (laughs) still i went on and I auditioned for an all-girl punk band called Lady on Luck, mm-hmm. and I got it. Yeah, I remember that. I, I didn't get to see you. You didn't play too many shows. 
we played a handful of shows. We played at what is was the Meow Mix. What? Which what? is what is that? Yeah, the Meow. The the Meow Mix is on Houston, but I forgot on which street. Oh, okay, it's pretty much the um, the bar where Kevin Smith shot the scene for Chasing Amy. For Chasing when Amy. He's at the when he's at the gay bar, lesbian yeah. bar. Is is a lesbian bar? They're they're telling the war stories. Like, see this? Can't turn my head because yeah, yeah. that's a great scene actually. So that so that's where we played our first show, and I remember being so fucking nervous. I, I was playing like double speed on the first song, and the bass player turns to me. She goes, "Slow the fuck down." <laughs> okay, I will. Sorry, it was, it, was, it, was, it was my first live show ever. That's awesome. Um, and we played it at the Meow Mix, and then we played a. F- um, you got to play the? Did you play the main stage at uh, CB's? No, no, they uh, kicked me out a week before then. Ah. Uh, so pissed that hurts. i was like hey at least let me play this last show at cbs to play cbgb's was like a dream come true for me it was a, it's a it was and, a big deal yeah and for us at least when we were younger well but, I'm, yeah like now cbs doesn't exist anymore cbs yeah. was the i mean it's impossible not to know what cbgb's club is but it was it was a very big deal even if you were so, a nobody and you played it once you're like i played cbs i played the basement yeah, of cbs yeah. and i wear that like a badge uh, of honor oh yeah, so we played Meow Mix, the Continental, a few times. Um, what was the place out in Brooklyn Lemours? that everyone in their mo- Lemours. We played Lemours, and it was like on a Kiss tribute night. Oh, God. Yeah, and um, I remember I got there a little late, but, like, you know, they, they were all, like, with their face paint on and shit. And I was like, oh, sorry, guys, I don't have time to put on face paint, but I'm wearing a No Effects t-shirt. <laughs> So that count that is is right. I want right? see, and then I wonder why they kicked me out. Mm. I'm a team player, I guess. But I played <laughs> in that band for nine months. Lady Unluck was the name. You could have had um, a you could have had a baby. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Pretty much, um, and then I, that was the last official band because I think this is a point in time when I was just like, okay, either I'm gonna do music mm-hmm. or I'm gonna do filmmaking. I can't. Yeah dedicate time to both there's not enough time i'm working going to college yada 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 yeah so i pretty much hang up the sticks at this point and i decide to solely focus on filmmaking Mm -hmm. so you know i'm taking the classes extra serious uh become film club president whoa uh, tv club president um this is stuff i didn't know no shit, really? I never told nah, you this? I, I, never, I never knew you were club presidents of anything. Oh, yeah, man. So this is like when I'm like, gung-ho, filmmaking, my life, that's it. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Um, the first film festival rolls around. Mm-hmm. And um, at this time, digital was just becoming a thing. Yeah. So... Me and my girlfriend at the time, we both decided to shoot on film. I was like, listen, let's shoot on film and let's kind of connect our films, but still keep it like our, they're a separate entity. Right. Like they like exist in the same universe, but... They exist, exactly. They exist in the same universe, but two completely different stories. Mm-hmm. So in her film, it's a love story. A uh, guy and a girl meet, the girl gets sick, dies. Boom. Mm-hmm. My film was about a funeral. So in my film, they go to that girl's funeral. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so fantastic. Of, so, so the reason I bring this up, because out of the 12 films that screened that year at the, I believe it was 2001, mm-hmm. 2001 BCC Film Festival, we were the only two left that shot on film. 
Mm. Everyone else shot on digital. And I remember sleeping in the editing room because I think I shot, I shot her film. Um, I shot my film. Uh You edited both? I edited both. I shot two other films. Oh my God. For students. Uh And I think I edited another two that I didn't shoot. You were just, you were literally like setting yourself up for the rest of your life. I was burning the camera at both ends and having another another light in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, so that, yeah, that film festival, I remember sleeping overnight, uh, not even sleeping, working overnight in the edit suite. And just knocking out, like falling unconscious at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I remember that, that morning, mom, the the head of the department, Professor Jeff Wachowski. Now, if you guys can spell Wachowski. Well, if you could say it correctly, first off. Jeff Wachowski. If you can can spell Wachowski's last name, we will give you two free tickets to uh, either AMC or um, (laughs) Regal Cinema. Two free tickets if you could spell Wachowski. (laughs) That was two very specific chains of movie theaters. Yeah. Um, So... He calls me up. He's like, listen, there's a guy on on the line from the Daily News. He would like to interview you. I set this up. So I'm there like maybe no, no, 20, more than 24 hours of no sleep. And I do this interview over the phone with uh, the people from the Daily News for like the metro section. I'm sure I know I have a clipping of it somewhere. Where we could actually look for it and post it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was pretty my first ever like uh, press, you know, name in the paper type thing. Sure, it's, that, it's didn't, a proud didn't involve a, that didn't involve a mugging. It's also a proud moment. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, at that point in college, that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a filmmaker, and um, I just started taking it more serious by then. And I knew the music, uh, the, the music theme, was behind me. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'll agree with you um, because I kind of had the same uh, course. Uh, we were talking about, uh, or rather, I was talking about the incestuous behavior we had where I had you come and drum on a couple of rehearsal sessions. You had me come on play bass just to jam and stuff. So what ended up happening was I ended up in the band with Dan. That band, <laughs> I start a band with a guy by the name of Dan. We get a couple of guys to play with us. We play a couple of shows. He decides to fire everyone except for me and him. <laughs> This is the most amazing thing ever. He fires everyone except for me and him. He's like, we need new bandmates. We get um, Gus. We get Pat. Pat brings along his friend Scott. That becomes our two guitarists, Gus and Pat, and our drummer Scott. Now it's <laughs> we. And play- I went to I went to a couple of your shows. Yeah, we we weren't that bad. We the we kept telling Dan like he had to rein it in, and we were giving him like notes about how like to be a singer or lead singer or whatnot. And eventually we, me, Gus, uh, Pat, and Scott got together and we decided we were kicking out Dan of his own band, a band that he started with me. We were tossing him. We did that. And then we formed what became known as Dudes of Doom. Dudes of motherfucking doom. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been severely slacking. I've been meaning to put the music up on YouTube. Oh, Uh, just do it. Yeah, I've been meaning to. Maybe I'll do that later today. Anyway. Um, and we, we ends up playing together for like five or so years. We recorded, uh, a full EP. We recorded several times, actually. We had like a three song EP with a female singer, which is very hard to find. I think I have the, uh, MP3s of it. Uh, we have, um, you know, uh, 
two we have a four song ep and then we did like an eight song ep we were in the course of uh recording a new another ep and uh the band just uh there were a lot of it was a perfect storm and the band just fell apart um so you know that's late in the game now so i i kind of at some point had the same thing it was like well I wanted to be a rock star, but God knows I wasn't going to be. But I enjoyed the industry. I enjoyed music. I enjoyed uh, like that whole live performance stuff. Like I said, I was mm-hmm. I felt like I was born to be an entertainer and stuff. So I thought to myself, well, how can I turn this into like an actual career? And so I found Five Towns College on Long Island, which was teaching audio recording. So I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to be a studio engineer. Um, maybe one day I'll I'll open up my own studio and I'll. I'll have, you know, all kinds of musicians come in and every week it's going to be different. It's going to be amazing because I get bored easily with repetition and the same, uh, same job, same task, same blah, 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 blah. Little did I know, you know, six or eight years later, recording studios were just going to start closing up because now digital comes along and, hmm. and they're like, you can record at home. It doesn't, you don't, it doesn't matter. But I still go to the school. I start getting my my analog tape to tape editing so this chops. is pretty much this is pretty much your college experience basically yeah and um and it's funny so i i go there for a couple for like a a, year, a semester and a half and i eventually drop out because i realize i'm getting a degree i'm going to be getting a degree in business management i was taking five classes per semester one of them was audio related and at the time um you were learning analog first digital was like your third or digital was like your fourth semester so i never made it to digital Hmm. i was still like the teacher i had for this class where i was learning i was a 72 channel console jesus yes huge um i couldn't just grasp the way he was explaining it really interesting side note i long left the college i'd moved on to other things uh found another school I um I catch up with a kid that I was in class with, and he tells me that that particular teacher uh, eventually had to leave because he was having an extramarital affair with a young student. Oh, so Jesus. karma's a bitch. But anyway, um, I leave the school. I go back to the workforce, and I'm I'm working, and I'm like, I'm I'm still like, I'm itching because I wanted I really wanted to do this. And now this weird thing happened where. You and I, at this point, we've been friends now. I don't know how long, five, seven yeah, years or so. Years. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we were just, ha- I remember hanging out in the MySpace days. Oh, MySpace. That's, <laughs> I remember the first band, Nobody in the Nothing, communicating through Friendster. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, um, we are, you and I are friends. We're hanging out. We're going out every other weekend. We had Friday shirts. You had a car that was so low to the ground that the FDR was just a minefield. Oh, Jesus. Um, Lucy. Lucy. Lucy was, was the name. car, yeah. Um, <sighs> but, you know, we were hanging out a lot. And so you were, at this point, you were very deep into filmmaking. And you were doing yeah. your own stuff. And so, like, you kind of mentioned it to me. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's kind of cool or whatever. And, like, I didn't think much of it. But by the time I got to the Institute of Audio Research, rest in peace, um, I was now taking courses to continue the education in audio recording, still with the idea that I'm going to work in a studio and record bands mm. and artists and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think at this point, I graduated BCC and I'm at Hunter at this point. And you're taking, uh, you're taking like... Now I'm here taking like full-on film production classes. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, what what like, it, you had said to me once, you at BCC you learned like the basic. Um, yeah. So the the real big difference between BCC and Hunter is that at BCC I learned all the technical aspects of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Your white balance, you know, how Great to light, lighting, yeah. Editing techniques, why they called this and that, you know, an L cut trim or whatever. So it's all the real technical parts, field production, studio, editing, film. Um, and then when I get to Hunter, it's more of the art of filmmaking. Which is very, very different. Completely different. You know, you start seeing things. First, once you start any media program, you see anything you watch completely different. You start looking at the lighting, you start looking at why they cut it this way, this and that and the other. So when Hunter, they leave they in teach... mistakes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um the art of filmmaking and of the two films that i couldn't stand at the time as a filmmaker it was a class that pretty much analyzed this film for a whole semester the two films were taxi driver and psycho yeah so these two films as a filmmaker i couldn't understand why people like oh my god these films are so great so great until i took that class and then you learn and and then you learn the art form of you gonna learn today boy pretty much pretty much (laughs) So, and, so yeah, you're taking these film courses now. You're now you're like embedded in the art of filmmaking. Which, hmm. I mean, if you ask us today, that's the fun of it. Yeah, and we're um, shooting on sixteen millimeter Aries, um, the sixteen millimeter Bolex, I believe is the name. Um, it's pretty much the cameras that they used to shoot like World War Two and Vietnam. They came with like the three attached lenses that you mm-hmm. just had to twist. Oh, so, so we yeah. shot on some really amazing film some really historical cameras yeah yeah and then uh fast forward to film production two the following year um i decided i didn't want to direct the film anymore because i think this film the one i did in film production one um i wasn't very happy with it i no one's ever seen it i still have the 16 millimeter spool and the digital copy on a mini dv tape if you guys (laughs) know what that is and uh I decided the following semester I wasn't going to direct because here you actually have to put in your own money to to do your film. You mm. budget it. You had to buy the film stock. You had to pay to get your film developed. You know, so at this point, I decided in film production too, I was only going to DP. So I was going to shoot three films for three different directors. And that was pretty much... I took it as a cinematography class. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's kind of where your eye was born, right? Pretty much. You know, yeah. looking through this tiny-ass little hole on these film cameras, you know. Um, and out of the three films, uh, one of them I almost killed, my good friend Rick Lombardo. <laughs> it, I, we could, thank God we could laugh about it now. Of but course. It was no laughing matter the other day. So I had to come with my car, Lucy, of course, uh, that we already mentioned her. <laughs> I had to come in, pull up to the curb, knock over the garbage can, and park. It was about these like idiot um, heist men that were going to rob this uh, grocery store. So they roll camera. I peel out. I come a little too close to Rick, and Rick has to be Rick. I don't know what he was thinking. Rick put his hand in front of the camera to salvage the camera. And at this time, it was like 
it was a I forgot it was a 16 millimeter camera but it was a brand new one that the college just got and they were they weren't loaning it out to they did us a favor by loaning it out to film production two students right so Rick puts his hand between the camera lens goes flying camera breaks we're all fucking shitting a brick at this point and not only was the camera fucked up but the thing was that once we real it was about $35,000 in damage to the camera and if we didn't pay that money to the college um me and rick and another student weren't able to register them to the next for the following semester and the other two students who couldn't register were going to get deported because they were on a student visa talk about a shit's creek without a paddle man so it was just a complete clusterfuck that uh we could laugh about it now long story short one of the guys was like uh, his girlfriend was like, hey, listen, if his car has insurance, he could just claim it on his liability. It covers up to $50,000 if he has the basic insurance. Mm-hmm. Lord and behold, I had the liability insurance mm. and it paid the school and everyone was able to register and not get deported. <laughs> That's such like a, a, a 1950s movie ending. We found a loophole. The town Pretty is much. saved. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and, and that... um. And then after that, I, I work at HITN, but I think we we can continue that on the next one. Yeah, we can definitely uh, we can definitely go into the to another episode. Um, yeah, because just, I think uh, that point is when you and I finally uh, collaborated. Finally collaborated. Yeah, it took years, but at least we collaborated. <laughs> it's funny. It's like two people who know how to dance that know the steps dancing with other people, and then they're like, "Wait." You know how to dance? All right, we could have been doing this for years. <laughs> um, so with the with the series with the briefcase podcast, um, one of the things, or one of the many things that we are looking to, I guess, provide as a form of entertainment is not only uh, where we've come from and what. Uh, trials and tribulations we've been through our you know our ups and our downs our successes our failures you know the whole nine not only provide kind of like a a storyline a narrative for you guys as to why we felt the necessity to make a podcast but at the same time like you know it's it's always nice to know that there's someone else out there that's you know going through budget woes or an actor fails to show up or whatever, you know, it's just nice to know, to hear it from other people. I personally believe so. And like Dave said about almost killing his, his good friend, Rick, everything turned out okay. And we can all laugh about it now because everything's a learning experience. Um, you know, uh, some of the things uh, to look forward to in, in future episodes is, you know, um, you know, just more of that. Um, yeah, independent filmmaking isn't easy, but then again, if it was, everybody else would be doing it, I suppose. Um, Very much. You know, Dave and I, we've been, like I said at the jump, we've been friends for at least 15 or so years. We've been working together in a more professional manner for at least eight or ten of those. I don't even know. Um, you know, we're just two filmmakers who really enjoy uh, filmmaking, whether it's the process of actually filmmaking from pre-production, production, all the way up to post, and then you know, seeing the finished product or just going out and enjoying a movie as a filmmaker enjoys a film. Um, you know, we've, we have a lot planned for future episodes. Uh, like I said, not only where we've been and where we're going, uh, you know, we've worked on 
as I said at the jump, you know, quite a few short films. We have a feature or two under our belts, uh, you know, music videos and things like that. And we'll we'll get into that. We'll talk about all of that stuff. Um, you know, the the funny things that happen on set, the learning experiences that we learn, you know, we took away from uh, what not to do, what to do, who to work with, who not to work with, just all that stuff. We we're just like <laughs> treasure trove of that kind of information. And we hope that we can impart some of that on you. Like I said, maybe you'll learn something. Uh, at the worst, I hope it inspires you to go out and do something on your own. There's so many uh, platforms nowadays for everyone, whether it's using your iPhone to upload to YouTube or just getting a cheap prosumer camera and, and you know, trying to step up your game. It, it, I I wish we had kind of the stuff we that we have now back then in, in the late 90s and early 2000s. But, you know, we do what we can. Um that being said, judging by the timer I've put in place to ensure we don't ramble on for days, we have to get going. But fear not, in our absence, we have some links for you to check out while you wait with bated breath for our next episode. Um, if you love Instagram, we're over there. Just find us at briefcase underscore productions. You can marvel at some of the beautiful photographs taken by none other than David C. Diaz of Briefcase Productions fame. You've been listening to him the whole episode. Go check out his uh, photography. It's some really beautiful stuff. Especially Thanks, if you, man. I appreciate it. Especially if you like vanishing points and things like that, like I do. We'll get into that in other episodes. Uh, you can also head over to thebriefcaseproductions.com. Uh, there you'll be able to check out some of our projects uh, mentioned in today's show, uh, as well as behind-the-scenes photos from various productions we've worked on, as well as drop us a line. Uh, and, and you can say anything to us. We don't care. Uh, there's a really good chance that we'll answer you. Actually, it's a really strong chance we'll answer you. That's a 100% chance we'll answer you. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, what better have we got to do, right? We, the weirder, the better. Uh, direct those to Dave. Yeah. I'll answer the serious questions. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we look forward to you checking out our stuff. We look forward to interacting with you uh, as episodes progress. We hope we build a bigger, bigger fan base. Our hope is that we can interact with you on a more regular basis through social media. Uh, if you know us in person, by all means, come talk to us. You can clearly tell we love talking. We don't mind at all. We'll impart any wisdom we have. We love inspiring other filmmakers. Um, and and just, just get out there and create, man. Um, and lastly, on behalf of David and myself, I would like to thank you for checking us out because we, of all people know that time is precious and since you've decided to spend your time with us we are eternally grateful uh whatever's left in your day make it good and please 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 watch more movies we'll catch you next time later